Um, once again, it's just a great honor to, to be here. It's exciting to be in this uh, majestic place that the Lord has created and uh, to be with each other, brothers and sisters that have come from different places. Um, once again, my whole family's here, and that's really exciting for Amy and I, and uh, even Javen, our oldest, too. It's been hard to, he's been studying and working and far away, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, he's sitting right here, so you can all clap for him. <clears throat> like to embarrass my, my sons. <clears throat> um, yesterday, I, I don't know if I was very coherent in my um, kind of introduction, and, and I'm, I still may not be coherent, um, but yesterday we had, we had driven um, straight from Kansas City here um, all through the day and all through the night and uh, no resting, and so last night uh, I was able to get some good sleep and I, I feel much better. Um, well, I feel better, but I'm still kind of groggy now coming out of that deep sleep, so um, hopefully some of the things that I say will make sense. But uh, if you'd open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, and uh, I'd like to start right here um, in kind of the, in light of my theme that I kind of want to bring out is um, urgency in these last days, urgency in these last days, and I'd like to start right here by uh, kind of speaking a little bit about revival, or, or at least personal revival. And I think that's what we see in the person of Gideon. We see a personal revival. And uh, much like Moses, Gideon um, is kind of an unlikely individual that the Lord has called to an extraordinary task. And uh, he makes excuses much like Moses also. Um, and so I, I as listening to Scott, just thinking, man, I, I really feel like this, uh, what I'm about to say fits well with what Scott was sharing about Moses there. So thank you, Scott. <clears throat> um, so in Judges chapter six, I'll just start out by reading the first six verses. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel." and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts in number. But they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And um, I, I guess before we get into it any farther, I'd like to pray again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us here in the year 2022. Um, Lord, we pray that um, you would use your, your word to convict us. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you'd encourage us. Um, we thank you for what we've already heard about Moses and you had to take him to the backside of the desert for 40 long years and I think we're going to hear more about how you taught Moses there. And 
Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love and how you use broken people that are kind of passing through a, a desert time in their life. And yet you use people like that and, and you revive them and, and you bring grace and mercy and forgiveness and you restore the brokenhearted. And um, <clears throat> Lord, I, I pray that you would help me now as, um, as we talk about Gideon a little bit. I pray that uh, you would convict us, that you would work in our own lives. Lord, we desperately need revival. We desperately need revival. And I pray that you would do something special in our day and age here just just prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd do something great. So we want to put these uh, few minutes into your hands, asking that you would speak to us through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I feel like uh, we, we need, we desperately need revival. Um, I, I think our, our families need revival, our, our assemblies need revival, and, and it's got to start with individuals. As individuals, many of us uh, need revival. Oh, thank you. Am I on? Okay. <clears throat> and I think that, um, you know, we live in a day and age where it is almost impossible f- for the way that that we do church, the brethren, it's almost impossible um, for us to see revival. And, and this, is, this is what I mean by that. Um, we live in a day and age, we are more distracted, the more, most distracted generation that's probably ever walked the face of this planet. Um, we just have so many distractions. I have my cell phone right here. There, there's I- internet there so I can check the scores. I've got Facebook. I've got Instagram. I've got emails. Um, uh, you can go into your bank accounts. I mean, just, just everything. Constantly, we're, maybe some of you during this message will get on your cell phone and do some stock exchange. Or, I don't know. What, but uh, we're just, we are the most distracted generation to ever walk the face of the planet. So that's, that's a big problem. And also, we've prob- we're probably the generation with the lowest level of spirituality ever um, on the face of the planet. I'm not sure about that, but I, I, I think that's the case. Um, I guess I can't point to any one thing, but as I go into the streets and do evangelism, and, and the Lord's given me a unique opportunity to speak in lots of different places, and, and just kind of taking the spiritual temperature in the streets, preaching, and then in the churches, talking to individuals. We have a very low level of spirituality, and you read um, you read some of the, the works of, I mean, even if you go way back, you know, at the beginning of church history, uh, like commentaries and things that they wrote about compared to commentaries that are written now, it just, man, there's, it just seems like there is a low level spirituality in comparison to the past. And so, um, so nowadays, kind of the model of a mega church, it actually can work pretty good in, in Disneyland, in the United States of America. It can work pretty good because if you got one guy that's not distracted, we'll just say, we'll say that he's not distracted, and he's got a high level of spirituality, and he's a charismatic, and let's just say he's, yeah, he knows the Lord, he's walking with the Lord, he's in the scriptures, you got one guy like that, 
And everyone else is just, well, we kind of warm pews and we come and, and listen to that one guy that's really, he's, he's not distracted, high level of spirituality, and, and we come and, and we're encouraged and we're inspired and for that week of work, and then we go, and, but we just kind of go through the motions again, low level spirituality, really distracted, and, and money and entertainment and Disneyland. And, and, but our model of church, the assemblies, where everyone needs to come with their own gifts and abilities to the body and work together, it's almost impossible for a church like that to work now. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that that's not the way we should do it. I see it in the New Testament. Oh, I, I think that we should do church this way, uh, where each one brings his own gifts and abilities, and, and we come and it's a body, and, and we're working together. But you know what? If we're all distracted... And we're all low-level spirituality and not really spending time with the Lord, not reading the Scriptures. Our churches are going to be a disaster. It's, just, it's not going to work, this model. And, and so I'm not saying, like, throw away the model. No, no, no. I, I, I see it in the Scriptures. Let's, let's go with the model. But we need to do something about our distractedness. We need to do something about a low level of spirituality. Here at the end of the ages... If we're really going to see strong assemblies, if we're really going to see new works being planted and, and evangelism and discipleship happening, which is what like the, the assemblies were known for back in the beginning in the 1830s and going into, I mean, those first, uh, well, history of brethren movement is, and, and I'm not saying, yeah, I'm, I mean, there are probably people here that aren't from assemblies, but... Uh, Across the board, evangelical uh, denominations and different uh, movements, this is a major problem. We're not coming using our gifts and abilities, uh, working together as a body. And what would happen here in these last days if there was a, a, a spiritual revival in individuals and, and then in families and that affecting our, our churches? And there was really, we had this switch, and it wasn't a low-level spirituality. Rather, all of a sudden, we've got this high level of spirituality, and we're not distracted. What would happen in, in our families, in our churches? What would happen in, in California? What would happen in our nation? I, I just, I really think we need spiritual revival. And, I, and we talk about this all the time, and I know we kind of throw out the word revival. I, I know that I do it, and... Um, and I, I'm just, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. I, I need these things. So, um, what I just read there, in Judges chapter 6, those, those first six verses, really what you see there is this high cost of low living. You see this high cost of low living in, in, in the Israelites. Um, it, it starts out saying that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord once again. And if you read through the book of Judges, you guys know those cycles. And different people have said it in different ways. But, but there's kind of seven cycles throughout the book of Judges. Some say it like this. There's sin, then oppression, then repentance, then deliverance. Um, others have said sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. I like to say it just kind of in a, uh, I guess, casual way. I'm doing good, messing up, suffering consequences, crying out to God, getting delivered. Then they kind of, the Israelites, they slip back into it. Getting delivered, they're doing good, they're messing up. Suffering the consequences, crying out to the Lord, getting delivered, doing good, 
suffer, or no, no, messing up. But isn't that, I mean, that's exactly a picture of you, isn't it? I mean, maybe I don't, I don't know a lot of you, so maybe you're on a higher plane, but man, I see myself in this so much. Man, I'm doing good. And mess up, suffering the consequences, cry out to the Lord, I get delivered, I'm doing good for a while, and then messing, and you just see this, this cycle, it's this endless cycle, and you see it in the Israelites, but you see it right there in these, in these first six verses, and I mean, you really see that sin brings an expensive price tag. The, the high cost of low living, you see in the Israelites. The Midianites then come into the land. And this is interesting. The hand of the, the Midianites is heavy upon Israel, it, it says. Well, it's, it's really the hand of God in the glove of Midian. God is disciplining his people because he loves his people. Not just not because for the sake of discipline and because he hates his people. No, he loves his people. And it's actually this wake-up call. And I feel like, man, we need a wake-up call. I need a wake-up call. And you see the hand of God in the glove of Midian just weighing heavily uh, upon the people of Israel. And it just you get this picture of the Amalekites and the Midianites, and they come up with the people of the east. They're, they're in verse 3, and they're encamping against Israel. But it's like they're locusts just covering the land. They're everywhere. And the Israelites have to hide out in caves and dens, and they're just hiding everywhere and anywhere that they can. And you see kind of the desperation. And you know, I think the Midianites have really crept into the land today. The Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the East, they're everywhere. And, and I'm talking spiritually speaking. Spirit world, I, I mean, I, uh, I taught the book of Revelation two weeks ago at Turkey Hill in, in Missouri. And, just going, and you get to that chapter 9, and uh, the bowls are being poured out on the earth, and kind of the first four bowls all have to do with like this... Uh, uh, destruction of the ecology of the planet, and then the last three have to do with like demonic legions are just unleashed on the planet. And you've got these weird uh, demonic creatures flying around everywhere, stinging people, but they can't die for five months. You guys know that, but just kind of it puts like flesh and um, well, it, it puts kind of a physicality onto the spirit world all of a sudden. And I can't help but think. We live in that same kind of spiritual battle all around us, but we can't see it right now. And, and, and the attacks of, from the spirit world, and you kind of you think of this, the Amalekites and the Midianites, and they're coming up on the land. And man, the Midianites and Amalekites, they've crept into the land, and they're everywhere. They've crept into our schools. They've crept into our churches. They've crept into our families. They, they, they've, they've crept in everywhere. They've set up camp in your own heart. And this is the kind of the picture that you get right here. Um, look at your life. You too are suffering the consequences of sin. The Midianites have crept in from everywhere. Um, I have an illustration right here, and it's a really good illustration. But I'm not going to give it because I, I'm saying all kinds of things I wasn't planning on saying. So... Uh, I'm really taking those 30 extra minutes. <laughs> I, I'll, uh, 
The anonymous prophet. Look at this in verses 7 to 9. Uh, no, 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 7 to 10. Look at, so, so yeah, you've got verses 1 to 6, and you kind of got the stages set and the problem in Israel. So verses 7 to 10. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all those who oppressed you, and I drove them out from before you and gave you into their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So, get this. So, so we've got the stage set. The Midianites have crept in. The Israelites are hiding out in caves and dens. And I mean, it is bad, but it's really the hand of God in the glove of Midian. And he is disciplining. What he's doing is, he's giving his people a wake-up call. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! And then God sends a prophet. And the guy, he's not named. All it says is, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And some commentators speculate that this prophet is actually Gideon. And it doesn't name him. Gideon actually by name comes into the picture a few verses later right here. And we don't know, but God sends this unnamed prophet. And I love this. I just kind of imagine this guy, this prophet coming out of nowhere, and, and there's, I don't know, maybe the Israelites are at this feast, and they're all gathered or something, like they would gather, and, and they come, and all of a sudden, this prophet stands up on a, on a bench at Yosemite, and no, I'm not a prophet, I'm an electrician. Uh, I'm an electrician. But, but the prophet, he comes out of nowhere, he's no-namer, and he just, he gets up on top of this table, and, and he says, Thus saith the Lord! I brought you out of the land of slavery to Egypt. I saved you. I blessed you. I told you to follow me. I will be your God. You will be my people. Don't follow the gods of the Canaanites and the gods and the idols of the people in this land. And yet, you have not obeyed my voice. Can, can you imagine that? This guy coming out of nowhere, nobody knows who he is, and he just gets up and he preaches this message. But you can kind of like imagine being in, in, in the, uh, the shoes of the Israelites here. And I, if I'm one of the Israelites and I'm sitting there in the benches at Yosemite, and I'm like, that is not encouraging. <laughs> like, we know. We know. I mean, look, at we're hiding out in the dens and the caves. And yeah, the Midianites are everywhere. They're destroying everything. I mean, we're an oppressed people. We know this. And yeah, we know the stories about how Israel was led out of Egypt and everything. And here we are. But that was generations ago. And, and where is our God or the God of our fathers? And, you know, what we, we don't need a preacher. We don't need a prophet. We need a deliverer. We need somebody to help us here. It's kind of like um, I get in a car accident and uh, I, I'm like the car's upside down. I got a broken leg and a broken arm, but I'm able to grab my cell phone and I call 911 and the dispatcher says, okay, we'll send a reporter. 
They're like, no, no. And, and I'm like, Trent, but, but like within five minutes, a reporter's there. They've got a video camera, and he's there with his microphone, and he's explaining all oh, this accident, and oh, look at how bad it is, and, and everything like that. And, but uh, no, I, don't, I need like an EMT or an ambulance or, uh, you know, medical assistance. I need, I need Caleb Trent there to help my, set my leg. Uh, we need a deliverer, not a prophet, not a preacher. That's kind of the idea, but you know, I kind of think just the fact that God sends a prophet, that God sends a messenger, kind of indicates that God is after their hearts. He's after our hearts. First and foremost, he's after your, yeah, there might be a, a lot of difficulty and oppression that really you've brought on yourself from not following the Lord and, and, and really living in sin. And you know, God is actually going to use certain difficult circumstances to teach us and, and really cause us to cry out to him. And the fact that he sends a prophet indicates he loves you. He actually, he loves you and the message might be really hard, but it also indicates he's bringing a message, but he just might bring a deliverer behind that prophet. He just might bring a savior. And, and obviously that, that's what we're going to see in, in the story right here. But really quickly, let me give this illustration. And I might already, be, oh no, I still got a few more minutes. Um, so if I told my wife, Amy, I just, I really love you. I love you so much. And, uh, oh, I'm so glad that you're my wife. And we've got six wonderful kids that are all here with us. And at Yosemite, even Javen, our oldest son, is here. And uh, I love you, Javen. But I love Amy. I love you. And she's my wife. But you know what? I love five other women also. I mean, if Amy doesn't have a problem with that, there's something wrong with her. She ought to have a problem with that. And you know, God has a problem with it that we say that we love Him, but we've got five or six or ten or twenty other idols out there. Idols in our own lives. And that's kind of the picture with Israel. They've got one foot in Yahwehism, or Christianity, not, not yet, but it's, yeah, following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're also following the gods of, of the land, or the, the people of the land of Canaan. And, and, and God wants our hearts. Okay, now look at real quickly at just verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So a couple of things here. Look at this. It says, the angel of the Lord. He, he comes, he comes and, and he sits under this terebinth tree and, and, and there's, there's Gideon in this wine press, but uh, he's threshing out wheat. But first of all, the angel of the Lord. When it says, the angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, th this is referring to Jesus Christ. Christophany. Every time this guy shows up in the Old Testament, People worship him, and he receives the worship. 
Other times when angels show up and they start, people start to worship them, they're like, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a creature like you are. But when it says the angel of the Lord, he always receives worship and he actually receives the worship in this story. We'll see if we get there since I'm taking so much time here. But uh, um, so the angel of the Lord, Jesus shows up. He sits down underneath this tree and look at where Gideon is. He's in a wine press. And if you look this up, wine presses, oftentimes, they, they did them in basically caves. Um, and he's threshing wheat, then, in a cave, or something like a cave, which is absolute stupidity. <laughs> like, the whole idea of, like, threshing wheat, you're threshing wheat, you're, like, throwing it up in the air, and the, and the, ch- the wind blows, and the, it takes the chaff, and, and the grain comes down. Pretty soon after you do that enough times, you just, you just got grain. Well, if you're doing that, like, in a cave, you're throwing it up, and uh, you're in a cave. There's, like, the wind isn't really blowing real good in, in the cave. You can just imagine, he's throwing this up, and just all of it, and the, the chaff's kind of maybe a little bit lighter, but it just, right down. He's doing it again, and he's just, like, looking at the whole thing as he's, he's, like, This is just a picture of my life. What are you doing, Gideon? It's really dark in here. I'm just like going through the motions of the Christian life, trying to do something here, but it just, it's a lesson in futility. And Gideon, so I'm going to just call this point, Gideon's doing cave time. The, the first point was the high cost of low living. The second was the anonymous prophet. And this one, Gideon, he's doing cave time. And, it, and it's kind of like, you got to stop being a Christian cave dweller. If you want to see God do something in our generation, you want to see the Lord use you, in your lifetime, you got to get out of that cave. You got to get out of that cave. And we're just kind of going through the motions in our Christian life, and really, it's not accomplishing anything. Gideon, right here, he's not accomplishing anything. He's trying, he's doing something, but he's not accomplishing anything. And you can just kind of imagine he recognizes this is just, this is ridiculous what I'm doing with my life. Look at me. I'm a wimp, I'm afraid of everyone. I'm hiding out in this wine press in this cave right here, and it's just, it's dark in here. It's so dark in my life. But I love this because God comes to Gideon at his darkest hour. This is the angel of the Lord. Jesus Christ shows up, and he comes, and he meets Gideon here at his darkest hour. And listen, Gideon, we're going to see he's timid, he's reluctant, he's uncertain, he's, he's weak, he's obstinate, he's afraid. And God comes to him at his darkest hour. Verse 12 now. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I think that is hilarious. I love this. Almighty man of valor. He calls Gideon Almighty man of valor. 
And you can just imagine, like, yeah, Jesus appears there at this tree that's right outside the cave, and he just sits down under the tree, and he just kind of looks at Gideon as he's going through the motions, and Gideon's just kind of thinking about how this is just a picture of my life. I'm just a Christian cave dweller, and man, and Jesus just looks at him, and he says these words right there, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Can imagine Gideon's like, You talking to me? I'm no, I'm not a mighty man of valor. <laughs> like everybody knows, I'm the biggest wimp in my family, and my family—they're all the biggest wimps in like our whole clan. In our clan, the biggest wimp clan of all of Manasseh. And I'm like, no, 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 mighty man of valor. You got, you got it wrong right there. But I, I love those words. You can just imagine, and he—you you can just kind of imagine that Gideon is those words ringing in his ears for like months afterwards. Mighty man of valor. He called me a mighty man of valor. Yeah! Yeah, I like a mighty man of valor. But you know, this is the whole key. The words just before it. The Lord is with you. Man, nothing better than that. If the Lord is with me, if the Lord is with you, it's not because of you and how great you are, your own strength. No, no. And Gideon knows. He's this big wimp. But if the Lord is for me, who can be against me? All of a sudden, if the Lord is with me, I can be a mighty man of valor. And you see how now the Lord is going to start to raise up this wimp and infuse him with courage and boldness. And, and, and it's slow to, to, for these things to go out of him. But still, you're going to see how the Lord raises up this man, a mighty man of valor, and the Lord is with him. So God comes to Gideon at his darkest hour right there. And another thing that I, I want to just point out is... Um, this is a common man given an impossible task. And right here, God is calling him to what it seems like is an impossible task. God calls ordinary people to an impossible task. And this is the story of Moses that Scott is getting into. And we're starting to see already. And I love that. God calls uncommon people to extraordinary tasks. Many of you have heard this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I, I, I love that because I do not feel qualified. But God calls people that are unqualified for the task, and then in the calling and along the process, He begins to qualify them and gives them strength and courage. He, he makes them into a mighty man or mighty woman of valor. Okay, so... God comes to Gideon at his darkest hour. Next point, verses 13 to 15. Look at God's gentle encouragement. God gently encourages Gideon. Verses 13 to 15 there. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, 
If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His wonderful deeds that our fathers have recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So basically, Gideon's got three questions that, that are really three problems. Um, in verse 13, he's, why has all this happened to us? Basically, that kind of indicates he's got a fear problem. What, why? I mean, look at, look at all the bad things that are happening in my life. Look at all the bad things that are happening to our, our, our families and, and really our nation. Why? I mean, I'm, look at where I'm at. I'm, I'm scared. Why? And then after that, he asks, and where? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? He's basically, there he's got a faith problem. First, it's a fear problem. Why is all this happening to us? I'm, I'm afraid of the Midianites. And then where are all the miracles? Past generations have told us about all these great things that God did. Where are all those miracles today? Well, basically, he's got this faith problem right there. And then lastly, down in verse 15, he says, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So basically, there he's got a family problem. I, I, man, my family, I just come from a long line of wimps. Like, how can I? I can't do this. So, so basically, right there, the, those, those three questions, why, where, and how, he's got a fear problem, a family problem, and, and a, or no, fear problem, faith problem, and, and a family problem. And it, it's kind of like, I mean, when I'm reading this, it's, what's your excuse, Micah? I mean, he's, he's got all of these excuses, and a lot of these excuses might be the same kind of excuses that I would give or that maybe you would give. This, this fear problem. Think, I mean, just in our last two years with COVID. Now, I understand. I don't want to, like, oh, boy, we could have long discussions, and we, there could be anger, and we could, and we could, and I don't want to cause anything like that. But I just want you to think. Think about the last two years in COVID, and the fear that just kind of swept across the entire world. Fear does strange things to people. I mean, people are a little bit of afraid of a, 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 a virus, and the toilet paper's gone. <laughs> I mean, it does weird things, really. I mean, people all of a sudden, like you didn't see some people for, for two years. Fear will really, really do weird things to people. I, I'm sorry, I, I do, I have to admit, I have the gift of offending people. So if I just offended someone, I'm sorry, I might do it a few more times, but I really, I do love you. I do love you. So um, if you're offended, just come up and I'll hug you and, and I'll, I'll apologize. Well, I won't take back my word though, that fear does strange things to people. And, and that's what it's doing to Gideon right here threshing wheat in this, in this cave. Very, very strange, weird thing. Where are all the mighty works? Where are all the miracles? I mean, people ask this all the time. You, you do evangelism in the streets and even, even in our churches. I mean, we ask ourselves, man, I mean, God does all these miracles throughout the scriptures. Where are the miracles today? Why isn't he doing miracles today? And, and I, just, I, I just can't help but think, you know, where are the miracles? Yeah, well, once again, you ain't gonna see no miracles if you keep hanging out in that cave. You got to get out of that cave. And I oftentimes think about 
missionaries from past generations. And, they, and you hear about the stories and the great things that God did. And, and, and revivals that happened down through church history. And even in re- recent missions history, um, Bert and Colleen Elliott, uh, we went to Peru to work with them. And, and the Lord used them greatly to plant over a hundred assemblies in, on, in the north of Peru, in the south, on the coast, in the mountains, in the jungle, just all over the place. And the Lord did great things through them and, and others at, at that time in history. And it, would be, it was so interesting to sit down with Burton and ask him just stories about what the Lord did over the years. And he just had all these stories. And just said, I remember many times just sitting there thinking, man, why doesn't the Lord do that now? Where are all those miracles? And once again, you just got to get out of the cave. And maybe, just maybe, you'll see the Lord begin to work. Um, and then this last question, or the last kind of question, how can I save Israel? And he's got this, this uh, family problem. I, I imagine, I imagine that this, this whole thing goes down, this, uh, this whole encounter with uh, the Christophany and, and Gideon, and maybe a couple weeks later, um, there's a, a barbecue happening with the, a bunch of families in Israel, and uh, they're hiding out in a cave having this barbecue, and, and they've got the NBA Finals on, and they're watching, and Steph Curry's playing, and man, he is so good. As they're, but as they're sitting there talking, um, one guy says to the other, hey, did you hear we got a new judge? We got a new judge in Israel! And one of the other guys, I mean, everybody kind of stops, you know, they, 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 they stop watching the game. What? We got, got a new judge? Are you serious? Well, where, where's he from? Judah? Benjamin? No, he's from Manasseh. What? Manasseh? That's like, it's like the worst tribe in Israel. Can any good thing come out of Manasseh? Yeah, they said he's, he's from Manasseh. Well, how, how, how's he strong enough? How's some guy out of Manasseh strong enough to deliver the people? How, how's he going to judge Israel? They say that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and they looked him right in the eye. The angel of the Lord looked him right in the eye and looked strength right into his bones. Look at this. I think it's verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, and the ESV is dead wrong, it's, it says, and said, now the King James, the NASB, and all the versions in Spanish, <laughs> which is what really counts, all say the Lord looked at him. I love that. The Lord looked at him. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? I, I love that idea of he looked at him. He just looked strength right into Gideon's bones. Oh, that, the encouragement and the boldness that that must have just brought to to Gideon right there. I I, I love that. He he gets strength to become a deliverer. God taking away kind of that that fear problem. Who cares about the family problem? Who, Who cares? Now the faith problem is kind of gone as the Lord is like looking this right into his bones. Um, Gideon 
is encouraged and gently encouraged by the Lord. Like the Lord doesn't even like answer any of his questions. He just says, go in the strength of yours. It's really, it's not his strength, but now it is because the Lord has given it to him. Now go in the strength of yours. Have I not sent you? Man, if God sends you, nothing better than that. And there's, there's so many things right here. S- several times, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, God's enabling presence. If God goes with us, all of a sudden that faith problem, fear problem, family problem, it all just kind of fades off into the distance. This changes everything. I remember when I first became a believer about 18 years old, I grew up in a great Christian home. I went to a Christian school, went to church a couple of times a a week, but still, I was not a believer. And all of a sudden, lots of things, circumstances in my life, I started reading my Bible for the first time, just like seeking God. It just desperately seeking. I was reading 12 chapters every single day, at least 12, sometimes 20, 25 chapters, but just reading through the scriptures. And I remember realizing, if this God of the Bible is for me, who can be against me? I grew up like a very afraid little boy. I would faint commonly when I got in front of people, a school play or something like that. I still kind of faint every once in a while. I fainted in Connecticut when I was preaching a few years ago. But I'm an afraid person. But this whole concept of if this God of the Bible is for me, who can be against me? All of a sudden, it just changed my life completely. God is with me. His enabling presence. I I love that right here. All of a sudden then Gideon goes from fear to faith, from weakling to warrior. We need to focus on God and not on our circumstances or where we come from or the things that we're afraid of. It changes Gideon completely. I am totally out of time and I have like seven more points. This is so bad. Um, let, I'm not going to look at you. And um, <laughs> let me just, I'll skip to the very last point um, because I think it's important to, to end here. Verses 25 to 32, sk- skipping down 25 to 32. Um, or maybe we can cut that even shorter. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull and set that is seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with wood, the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and, and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid, of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And, and I, I, at first, when you read this story, you're like, what a wimp. He goes in the middle of the night and he takes like these 10 guys to do this. The Lord told him to do it. But then the more you think about it, the more I think about it, I'm like, I would have done the same thing. I would have done it in the middle of the night too. I mean, at least he did it. And, and, and so, but you see this guy's taking like little baby steps now and, and, and you see kind of something, the, the fire in his heart that the Lord's put there is beginning to melt the lead in his boots and, and he's going forward. But, but this is the big point that I want, want to call this right here at this point. You've got idols in your own backyard. If we're going to see a revival, 
You've got to cut down those idols in your own backyard. This, this is in his own backyard. It's like that, that Asherah that's in your dad's backyard in the house that you live in. You've got to cut that thing down. You can't have an altar to Asherah, an altar to Baal, and also this altar to, to Jehovah and sacrificing to both. No, no, no. You've got to cut these idols down that are still in your own heart. If we're going to see revival, brothers and sisters, I think there's, there needs to be some serious soul searching. Maybe many are here and you've got some serious idols that need to be cut down and burned up. And that's, that's the case right here. You've got idols in your own backyard. Revival starts by dealing with the sin that dwells within. They were in bondage to the Midianites, but really that bondage to the Midianites pointed to a deeper problem. The bondage to sin in their own lives. And it was all kind of uh, illustrated in the bondage that had come through the Midianites. But they were really held in bondage to sin. And God wants us to deal with the sin that dwells within. The Spirit of the Lord. Now look at this. After he cuts down the, the altar. Verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Abiezerites were called out to follow him. The moment that he kind of goes through this whole process... And then he cuts down this idol. At that very moment, the Spirit of the Lord clothed him. Nothing better than that. The hand of the Lord on you. The Spirit of the Lord clothing you to go out as a warrior and to do great things for our great God and His great cause and His great name and His great Son. Nothing better than the, the Spirit of the Lord is on Gideon. This is what we need in, in our assemblies, in, in our families. This is what I need, the Spirit of the Lord in my life. And so you go, kind of what I've outlined, and I, I'm skipping a bunch of points here, but I, I tried the main points. Steps to revival, you see it right here. First of all, we need a wake-up call. God sent this unnamed prophet to give Israel a wake-up call. We need a wake-up call too. Number two, we need God to meet us in our darkest hour. And maybe this time in history right now is our darkest hour. And different ones of you are coming from different uh, family situations and different situations in your life. Some of you are coming from really dark and difficult times right now. And man, you need nothing more than for God to meet you now at this darkest hour. You need a wake-up call. You need God to meet you at this darkest hour. And, and then we need some encouragement from the Lord. And hopefully this week, we get a lot of encouragement from the Lord. Not uh, just from the scriptures right here, and Scott and myself, but just the individual conversations that we'll have with one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, just coming together a whole week, just like, let's be encouraged in the Lord. As God came to Gideon and just, just kind of smiled at him, doesn't even answer all these stupid questions that Gideon said, just go in this strength of yours. Do I not send you? And he looks strength right into his bones. Oh, we need that. Next, um, we need God's presence. God goes with, I am with you. Do I not send you? I am with you. I am with you. Number five, and I didn't, I'd skip a couple. We skipped that one, and we skipped that one, and we skipped that one. 
But skipping to this last one, we need to break down idols in our own lives. If we're going to see revival in our families, if we're going to see revival in our churches, if we're going to see revival in California, it's exciting to be in California, maybe one of the darkest places in the country. But man, that the Lord would raise up an army of evangelists and preachers and teachers and those that have the gift of helps and those that go forward with, with an extra gift of love and, and faith and hope and going forward with our different gifts and abilities into the darkest part of the land, into the most difficult part of the battle. And we go forward having been revived after going through kind of these same kind of steps that you see from Gideon and then cutting down the idols in our own lives. Oh, what the Lord might do here at the end of the ages as we stand at these last few days before the Lord Jesus returns. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would do great things in this generation. Lord, we, just, we, we need to get out of the cave. We need to stop making excuses I know in my own life, I've, just, I've got a fear problem, a family problem, a faith problem. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us just to look past those things. Those things would just fade into, the, fade into the distance and that we would look at Christ and Christ alone. And if Jesus gives us his strength, if he goes with us, lion-hearted, boldness, courage. The, the righteous are as bold as a lion. We've been made righteous in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we, as we look at the life of Moses and looking into Exodus with, with Brother Scott as I kind of talk about these different stories and looking at the end of the ages and the sense of urgency. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts. If there are idols in our hearts, in our own backyard, I pray that you would convict us to go and, and cut those down, root them out, so that we might be useful instruments in your hands. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us and encourage us. We put our lives into your hands. We pray that you would clothe us with your Holy Spirit as Gideon was there the end of taking each one of those steps. So Lord, we put our lives into your hands, asking that you would help us, that you would do great things. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs. In Jesus' name, amen.